of whether Grace Tame should have smiled has a lot of us talking here in Australia. Romans 13 says Christians should not only obey governing authorities, but also pay respect to whom respect is due and honour to whom honour is due. And Titus chapter 3 says Christians should be perfectly courteous to all people. And the little word courteous is otherwise translated gentleness and meekness. So the question for today is whether Grace Tame should have smiled at the Prime Minister. Hello and welcome to Two Ways Ministries podcast. I'm Philip Jensen. If you haven't already heard about this event, Grace Tame was the Australian of the Year for 2021. When she attended a function at the Prime Minister's Lodge a couple of weeks ago, in front of media cameras, she didn't greet the Prime Minister with a smile, rather... She gave him a sideways look of disapproval and even displeasure, and that's caused considerable comment and debate. What do you think about it? Should she have followed our cultural patterns of smiling when meeting somebody, or should she have expressed her unhappiness, being true to herself, authentic, not hypocritical? Have you engaged in the wider questions in our society about this, and the other questions about whether... Women should always be polite and considerate to men, especially men of power, or whether even citizens always have to be polite and humbly defer to a prime minister. Now, I'm not about to criticise Grace Tame. I've no idea whether she's a Christian or not. And it's a free country. She can choose to smile or refuse to smile just as she pleases. And if she's chosen not to smile at the prime minister, well, that's her business. She's not answerable to us, and nor to be judged by us. But the whole episode opened up an important topic for us. If you saw it, what did you think or feel when you first saw her refuse to smile at the Prime Minister? When I saw it, I had three simultaneous reactions. Firstly, I just thought, that's childish and rude. It's a kind of dummy-spitting, ill-mannered... It was disrespectful and uncivilised. But then I also thought at the same time, well, that's what she thinks of Scott Morrison. She's not holding back, but making her feelings known. At least it's honest. We know where she stands, which is rare in public life. My third immediate reaction was, oh, I hope she's all right. I wonder if she's sick or under some particular pressure. Have the media been rude to her or... Well, she had trouble finding a parking spot and she's... I didn't know what to think. If you saw it, what were your reactions? How did you feel about it? As the days proceeded and people attacked and defended her and she made some comments herself, it became quite clear that it was an intended insult to the Prime Minister. It was part of her campaign to change the nature of Australian life about the victims of sexual abuse, especially males' abuse of women. So her actions forced me to consider, should Grace Tame or anybody in her position smile? I'm not really asking about her personally, but just in principle, should anybody in her kind of position have to be polite? She's waging a very important war, and she's waging it on behalf of the victims of sexual abuse. I'm wanting to know whether her tactic was the right way to do it. Was it the best way? Is it the most effective way? 
Is it necessary to do this kind of thing in order to fight for her cause? But it's even more than that. Her actions revealed the big split in our society between Enlightenment, liberal Western civilization on one hand, and the 21st century social justice warriors on the other. A split that can leave us Christians a little bit confused. Why do we find it offensive? Well, because she broke the cultural norms of politeness that we Australians are raised with. She broke the civilised culture of polite debate. And she broke with the notion of tolerance. Tolerance is about being polite and respectful to people with whom you disagree. Well, like him or not, Scott Morrison is our Prime Minister. And in a sense, to be rude to him is to be rude to Australia. That's the reason that they're the kinds of reasons that the established, enlightenment, liberal society was offended. But the social justice warriors weren't offended. They were cheering her on because the establishment liberal society has failed to bring justice to victims, has failed to give the victims a voice, has actually silenced the victims and continued to victimise them. Her actions were expressing the new social justice world, the the post-enlightenment, post-liberal rationalist society. She was being true to herself, rejecting the hypocrisy of politeness and expressing that postmodern existentialism of individual authenticity. Well, we Christians get a little confused here, don't we? Because we've imbibed one of these two social philosophies, either Western Enlightenment liberalism or postmodern social justice theory. The older generation tend to be offended because we've been trained to be civilised, culturally liberal thinkers. The younger generation tend to be accepting because we're trained to see and feel the social injustice and hypocrisy of the establishment. We Christians see the same split in lots of issues, don't we? Environmentalism, global warming, same-sex marriage, transgenderism. However, in these splits, Christians generally sit on the fence, watching the fight between the two worldviews. We think that both socialists and capitalists are wrong because they're materialists. One is full of envy, the other's full of greed. But we also think that both the socialists and capitalists are right because one thinks collectively of mutual benefit and the other thinks of individual responsibility. And so Christians wind up sitting on the fence watching the fight between the civilised debate of Western liberal culture and the passionate pursuit of systemic justice of the progressive culture. Because we Christians, well, we see the failure of Western liberal culture as clearly as we see the failure of postmodern relativism. And so we sit on the fence and we're a bit confused, aren't we? But I then got to thinking about the issue of effectiveness, whether Grace Tame's action was effective. It was part of her challenge to the injustice of our society over men's sexual abuse of women. It was part of her aim and challenge to change our society. What her actions achieved was to draw attention to her issue. Think about it. You see, if she had smiled sweetly and entered 
quietly and politely, the media would not have commented. Her day as Australian of the Year would be over. And so for her, now was the time to act, while she still had the media photographing her, while she was still invited to the lodge. And as a result of her action, people are still talking about her. Why, I'm even discussing it with you. In this regard, then, she did the right thing for her cause. Because you can't change society and be domesticated by it at the same time. This particular action may or may not have achieved precisely what she wanted, but some such similar action somewhere is needed to arouse interest, to gain media attention, or to force the conversation to continue even after she ceases to be Australian of the Year. Instead of fading in the background, as previous Australians of the Year have done, she has maintained she's even grown her personal platform. She may have disturbed the pleasantries of peace, but that's what's necessary to force change in society. Now, it's like demonstrations or strikes. If a demonstration is calm and polite and law-abiding, nobody notices. If it's illegal, uncontrolled, breaking societal norms, everybody notices, especially the media, because they're addicted to conflict. That's the cheap, easy way of getting a story. So... I want to ask, where does this leave us Christians? Because like grace and social justice warriors, we also want to change the society. We also want to draw attention to our message, a message which calls upon society to stop doing what they're doing and repent, adopt the Lord Jesus Christ. To do this, we need to step outside the normal expectations of life. We mustn't be domesticated by society. How can we do that when our message teaches us to be submissive to government and courteous to all people? Well, first, it might be helpful for us to be clear about submission and courtesy. For Christian behaviour is always based in God's reasons, as taught in the scriptures, so let's understand why God is saying we should be submissive and courteous. We know that submission is not a word our world likes, but then again, our world doesn't know God doesn't know the almighty creator of life, to whom it's a privilege and pleasure to submit because he is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and God of Gods and the ruler of the universe. God tells us to be submissive to governing authorities because he's appointed rulers for our good. So in Romans 13, we're to obey governing authorities, we're to pay respect to whom respect is due. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're to honour everybody and honour the emperor. Isn't it a great when you're travelling in a car with someone, you're a passenger, and the driver submits to government regulations? And isn't it terrifying when you're driving in a car and the driver, and your passenger and the driver, doesn't submit to government regulations? It's for our good that God has given us the government. It's for our benefit. But God also tells us to be courteous to all. If possible, as far as it depends upon us, we must live peaceably with all, we're told in Romans 12. Indeed, we're told there we've even got to bless our persecutors. And the reasons we're given for being courteous is that we, forgiven sinners, are no better than other people. We're simply recipients of God's gracious mercy and his regenerating spirit. 
You get both the idea of submissive and courteous in the first two verses of Titus 3. Let me read them for you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. It's both submission to rulers and authorities and courteous to others. Whenever I remember the old saying about there, but for the grace of God, go I, I find it easier to be gentle and meek and kind and patient and courteous to others. So all this has me thinking, what is the Christian way to challenge and change society? I mean, it's not by political revolution or warfare. It's, it's not by government control and legislation. No, the power to change must be God's power, not our power. We're the clay pots who carry about the transforming power of God. Therefore, we can submit to authorities he places over us and we can be courteous to all people because he is in control. But what do you think we should do to change the world? If God is in control like this, doesn't mean we should do nothing, just be passive. Won't we just sit back and let God change the world? Well, no, I don't think so, because God's given us weapons to use. And the weaponry God has placed in our hands is prayer and the word of God. We're to take every thought captive by the proclamation of the gospel. Remembering always that with the proclamation of the gospel comes opposition, misunderstanding and persecution. It means you and I have to take whatever opportunity comes up, as well as creating whatever opportunity we can think up to tell people about Jesus. It means talking to work colleagues and neighbours and family whenever we get the chance. It means creating opportunities like our forefathers did when they started beach missions or ISCF at schools or crusaders or, or even the YMCA and the YWCA. It means we have to tell people about Jesus and refuse to be silenced by opposition or persecution. We mustn't be silenced, not by self-censorship or by institutional censorship or, of course, government censorship. We mustn't be silenced by accommodating the gospel to fit into the culture of the day, toning down God's word to avoid offending anybody. We, we mustn't adjust the content of the gospel, avoiding hard subjects like judgment. We mustn't allow the gospel to be silenced by restricting our freedom of speech or freedom of association. I mean, it reminds me of the apostles in Jerusalem. They wouldn't stay silent as the authorities wished, but continued to speak boldly even when they were forbidden. Or remember Paul in Corinth in Acts 18, when his message was rejected by the Jews, he went to the house next door to the synagogue to continue preaching. Or in Ephesus, when again he withdrew from the synagogue in Acts chapter 19, he set up the ministry in the hall of Tyrannus. The apostles turned the world upside down, but they didn't start a political revolution. It's just that they wouldn't let the opposition, persecution or difficulty silence the preaching of the gospel. I guess it's like Jesus, who certainly didn't abide the priest's rules in the temple when he overturned the money-changing tables. Now, our governments don't lock us up or beat us for preaching the gospel here in Australia. Rather, they domesticate us by politeness and civility. The devil's tools include both the carrot and the stick. Grace Tame was refusing the carrot. She was choosing not to be domesticated. But what about us? 
Well, we Christians must trust God. He's in control. He'll bring about his purposes through us. But to trust God means that we've got to continue to evangelize and never allow ourselves to be domesticated. We must trust God and continue to treat others with courtesy and submission. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. (laughs) There are times when in my submission and courtesy I've missed the opportunities to speak of Jesus. And there are other times where I've had to stand up against authorities that wanted to close down Christian ministries. But when you're going through tough and confusing times, either being civilised into silence or threatened with censorship, remember what Jesus taught. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As the Apostle Peter taught, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. So when you're patronised or sidelined by the liberal establishment or shamed or even cancelled by the social justice warriors, rejoice, be glad. You're on the side of the prophets and the apostles and keep on praying and proclaiming the truth that is in Jesus without fear or favour. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that by it you will bring change to this world. We do pray, Father, you would give us boldness and confidence to continue to speak of Jesus and that you would use us to bring about your salvation for other people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. listening to this new podcast from Philip Jensen and Two Ways Ministries. Philip will be bringing to you new regular episodes on a variety of topics and current issues. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with his latest.